that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola with my partner in crime, the notorious P.O.B. Patrick O'Boyle, the one and only Italian American Wikipedia himself. We are here for a topic that I think both of us enjoy very, very much and one that I know our audience enjoys, which is uh, your roots and your genealogy. But uh, first and foremost, Pat, this is a continuing saga for you and I. We've both been alternatively under the weather. How are you feeling? I'm alive. (laughs) <laughs> the best you could ask for. I mean, there's people who are dead. They're more under the weather than I am. That is true. But you've been you've had it pretty rough the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I just have I've I've had a lot of congestion and sneezing and coughing and sneezing and stuffy head. The stuff like the commercial. Yeah, that's that's about what everybody's been going through right now. The whole family's cycled through it. Is and, that true? Uh, yeah, everybody I know is sick. I felt alone. No, so no. I'm, I'm I'm usually not united in misery, but I'm always <laughs> miserable. <laughs> But it's good when you're united with other people. You have ties and bonds and misery. <laughs> I, what, what episode did we have where, oh, uh, Frankie D from Chicago, when he was complaining about the hopelessness of the Italian community, and you were so happy to join him in his misery. Oh, I love it. It was like the happiest oh, I've ever great. heard you on here. Yeah, it was. Nothing is as happy as Italian misery. No, you love it. That's your favorite thing in the world. It's all over. It's done. It's finished. We're not a necessarily the media portrays us as very optimistic and happy go lucky. Yeah, it's not us. It's not us. No, the sunny like mandolin player of uh, Fenul, Dol- Fenul. Dolce Fenul. And we say it multiple times. Fenul, Fenul, Fenul. They three times. I don't think it's ever really been very much the Italian psychology. I think that's a that's a American media, uh, American travel creation. This idea of like uh, everything just sort of comes as it as it will in Italy. And I think we're party people. So in the moment, we could be fun at a wedding, at a yes. baptism, at you yes. know, Uncle Frankie's house on Saturday night. But the rest of the week, we're, we're relatively negative. I think so. Yeah. So I they do. only see us when in those Hollywood Lady and the Tramp kind of moments and other, you know, romantic and happy. And, you know, then the Simpsons have a Catholic heaven. They had tiny people dancing around and stuff like that. Like that's. I never saw that. But I could, they, yeah. they, they had like a Catholic heaven versus Protestant. And the Protestant having people play golf. <laughs> and the Catholic heaven, there was, and I've never watched The Simpsons. That's the only thing I've ever watched on The Simpsons was the YouTube clip. It was like Irish people in a, in a barroom brawl, Mex- <laughs> Mexicans doing like the hat dance, and Italians like eating spaghetti and drinking wine. Paradise of uh, only dancing and singing. You know the one thing Italy has over us is spring water. We, uh, that's now you, I, you, that's every, a non sequitur. I got to think about that. I mean, I, the answer is yes. I, I think Italian spring water is fantastic, like Aquapana. And, but every town, every town is a fontana. Yeah. There's a spring, even if it's contaminated, there's a spring water that's supposed to cure you. Yeah, it's true. We don't have that. Like, I wish I could go to a spring water right now with like five gallon buckets and just spring, like real spring water. You know what the best spring water I ever had in America was? Your grandfather's on the farm. That's fair. My grandfather's is probably, that's true. It's, it's, I kind of take for granted because I'm thinking of the guy Nick Fideli took us to in Cleveland, the Italian. Oh, yes. Yeah. The Trout Club in Cleveland has fantastic water. Yeah. What was it? It was a, a Sicilian guy, right? He he bought this property and it had a natural spring and he realized it had all these health benefits. And now you get a membership. You can I mean, we we bottled gallons worth and I drank like a gallon the first night. It was so good. It was fantastic. 
I'd have the 52-liter, 50-whatever, the 52-liter Demijohns if I was in Cleveland and just loaded it up. Yeah, it's that good. It really but was. But Italians get obsessed with that stuff. Yes, that's true. When I was a kid, and I'd be with my grandmother and my aunts and the crowd from Holy Rosie in Jersey City at the Villa Roma in the Catskills. And now, I'm assuming, of course, it was city water. But they all assumed that the water in the hotel was like spring water. Well, so they, they would be yelling at you all day long to drink the water because it was like what our montagna, right? But the so truth yeah. is that that's their that's not they're the same thing, right? So New York gets its water from the Catskills, New York City, and and parts of Westchester get our municipal water from those Catskills reservoirs, some of which are partially spring fed. So in fact, it is it's both. But so New York City tap water has a uh, part of it. it. It comes from spring sources up in the Catskills, but it's it's. Do you think the Villa Roma has spring water? It's got to be. Yeah, got to be up in the Catskills. Absolutely. They the, the, want, they that's where my grandparents are. To drink all day. Beaver for you, me, beaver. I had to drink all day and then pisha, pisha, pisha. They're <laughs> supposed to clean you out with this aqua de montaña. Then they would take you out at night after dinner because the Catskills has that slight chill. Yeah. And they'd say, breathe in the mountain air. I'm not oh, making yeah. this up. <gasps> no. You used to why... like a calisthenics, breathe in, breathe, breathe the mountain air. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's how my grandparents' house was for them. That's and they, true. they they bought it in the 70s, and, you know, it was in the middle of nowhere and uh, had spring water and clean air. And for people who grew up in Brooklyn and Queens. Laria de la Montaña, Laria yeah. de la Montaña. You just go out. This stuff sticks with you. Bastin. Yeah. What's it called? Bastin, La Cura Montaña, La Cura Fontana. Vicks Vapor Rub. That, that hailed everything. In Vicks the, Vapor yeah. Rub. 7-Up. Yeah, oh, flat seven up or ginger ale. They always like. Why did they always like clear soda for sick people? I don't know. You ever notice that? Did your family do fennel tea when you had a stomachache? No, that's gotta be the Sicilian in you. Must be my yeah. My was my great grandma. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Sicilian. But my mom. We still do it. If you got a stomachache, you boil fennel seeds. That's why I know we've said before. We said on the Bastine episode. That's why Neapolitans have an obsession with white white food. Was supposed to be healing. That was the that was the the power the power behind Bastine and rice and milk. Maybe it's the same thing for the soda. Yeah, maybe that's where the soda was clear. You know, you talk about spring water and the Italian kind of the way they approach it as medicinal almost, right? Like if we get a good spring, it's going to be, let's bottle it. Let's start a company. Uh, will it sell like Fiji or Evian or this and that and the other? But for the Italians, it really is that sort of like um, that old European Victorian mentality of like a, a health compound, right? You go to a spring for health. You take the waters. You drink the waters, the minerals. what. And uh, I recall when you took me for the first time to my ancestral town from the Viola side, Latronico in Provincia di Potenza, Basilicata. And Pat made all these arrangements through friends of his and mine there. And uh, I got really just treated amazingly by the mayor of the town and um, gave me the key to the city. And we toured and, and they took us to the springs within the town borders. And it's a beautiful mountain setting. I mean, absolutely picturesque. And it's just springs with all these healing qualities and minerals and cold and hot and all this stuff. And, you know, in my American mind, I kept thinking this would make a magnificent mountain resort. And, you know, you'd have celebrities coming in for detox. But in Italy, it's a state-run facility. It's like a hospital, basically. And, and for them, these waters are all about health versus the sort of branding and, you know, tourism and all this stuff. But you, you bring me to the topic of today's episode, which is going back to our genealogy and our roots and finding the unfindable. And I have known most of my family history uh, most of my life because 
some of my grandparents kept in touch with their cousins who went back, but it was my grandfather's father that we could never find. And we were looking in the town my grandfather immigrated from for decades until I don't even know how the case was cracked to take us over the border into Basilicata. And so you helped arrange for me to find the house he was born in, meet family that I never knew I had. And for somebody who thought that they couldn't have these experiences of kind of finding it for the first time, it was one of the best trips of my life. And uh, and it brings us to what we're here for today, which is to talk about genealogy, finding your specific roots. And we're going to do it with uh, an expert. So Pat, you want to introduce Bob? Because uh, I think you, you know him a little bit better than I do. I think Bob is the best one to introduce Bob. Bob, take it from here. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be here. And before I start, I just want to say one thing. Coca-Cola syrup. That's what I got when I was a kid growing up. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's very true. Flat, yeah, if you can get the syrup now, it's very hard to find, but my mom still looks for it. Well said. But, yeah, thanks. I've been um, I've been doing my family research for close to about 20 years now, and as my wife likes to say, you're looking for dead people again. And <laughs> usually I'm, I'm sitting in my office looking for either dead people from my family or from other families. What started me on the quest was I used to love uh, when I was growing up looking at the old photographs in the, the book with the black pages and the little corners. And uh, there was a card from my great-grandfather, my paternal great-grandfather, Nicola Piramalo. And my mother used to tell me that he was a count or a duke in Italy. And that's where I started my quest. And little did I know that when I researched him, I was going to find my great-grandmother, who I've been able to trace back direct to the first Caracciolo in Naples in 950. Wow. Wow. You are Signora on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> are you related to the saint, St. Francis Caracciolo? Yes. Yes. Distant. Not, the, not, not in that direct family, but yes, he is some sort of distant, distant cousin. I want to give the audience a little context because... Bob Sorrentino is is on today because of his expertise in Italian genealogy. He's the host of the Italian Genealogy podcast, the man behind the Italian Genealogy blog. You had a, a long career in the finance world, retired in 2014 and decided to really make this your full-time passion. And one of the things that I think really came to Pat's attention was this noble ancestry that you were able to discover. And uh, I think a lot of people, you know, we in the Italian American community kind of go to uh, medieval times and, you know, they see the find your name, print your uh, family crest and stuff like that. Can you kind of put some context? I mean, they say uh, after so many generations, everybody on earth is interrelated. What is the chances of finding some noble lineage in, in an Italian American family? Cause people think we, 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 it's impossible to have come from something like that and immigrated here, but I think it's actually probably better chance than one would think. Right. Yeah, because there were so many. The key is being lucky like I was to have that one little piece of evidence that opened up the door. Uh, and, you know, I've talked to hmm, probably maybe up to 10 people who have been able to make that link. And to your point, you know, everybody's related to Charlemagne. That's that's true. Um, but to be able to find the link, to trace yourself back uh, was was quite amazing to me. And And, and again, it was quite by accident. You know, my mom's family, they're farmers from Torito Bari. That's where my grandmother's family's from. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and my great-grandfather there, he was the village milkman. He had a cow and he would walk through the streets with a bucket and a cow. Isn't a cow the symbol of Torito? 
a bull. A bull. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, two, I come from two vastly different socioeconomic groups. Um, and, you know, had they not immigrated to America, of course, they never would have met. And I've only know of two from my great grandmother's, uh, from, sorry, from my grandmother's family that came here, her and her aunt who had come about 10 years prior in 1905. And everybody else stayed in Italy. Now, is this the noble side you're talking about? This is the noble side. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Pat and I have done a lot of projects through the Constantinian order in the South of Italy. And because the Constantinian order is so old and here in America and other places around the world, it's given for philanthropy and service and commitment to good causes and stuff. In Italy, it's still primarily, especially in the south of Italy, it's still primarily given uh, amongst the old southern Italian nobility. So we've gotten to spend some time in these noble palaces with families that, you know, when they congregate are just as comfortable in French as they are in Italian. And it's interesting to see, although there has not been an independent kingdom in the south since 1860, there hasn't been a king in Italy since 1946, these people still maintain pretty close ties. Not many of them did leave. You know, and that that blew me away, actually, John, because we went to three ancestral homes when we were there last June. And I asked uh, Letizia, who was helping us with the tour, I said, why do they still have this history ingrained in them? And I said, you know, we have the vision of nobles being evil and things like that, or they didn't treat the people well. And it was quite the opposite, especially in the South. The nobility treated the people very, very well for the most part. They provided industry, they provided farming, they provided homes, they took care of the churches, they built the churches. So they were a very integral part of family life, and they still remember They still remember these people. And, and when I was there, um, I remarked when we left Avellino, where my great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers were the princes and princesses of there, I said, I, I blew me away that they treated me like this. And she said, if you think they treated you like royalty in Avellino, wait until you get to Montebello in Calabria. They're going to treat you like God. And and they did. They spent the whole day with us. And, you know, that's that's part of the message that I'm trying to get out to people, John and Pat. It's great to go to Italy and see the Vatican and see Florence and see Venice and all of these places. But unless you go to the hometown, you don't experience the real life. Yeah, there's, it's, a, it's a certainly a different level of experiencing Italy. Pat and I had an interesting dinner with a, a listener who um, it's a young Italian-American woman who's uh, working on some interesting projects that she was sharing with us a couple of weeks ago. And she was talking about her return trip to her family's town in Sicily and how she she, she loved Sicily and she had a wonderful trip, but she didn't really get embraced when she got to the town and we were saying, you know, it's an interesting dynamic in the, I think, the Italian psychology, particularly in the South, but also really everywhere. You can be a, a stranger and be very welcomed. But if you propose the intimacy of being a paisani, of somebody from the paese, you do need sometimes an entry point, an entree, either a, a relative that's there that you find or somebody who's going to play middle person for you and make introductions. You, you need the um, an advocate kind of, right? Is, is that fair to say? Is you that, need an intermediary to vouch for you. Uh, yeah, an intermediary. Mm -hmm. And then that, all the doors open. 
Yes, exactly. And once uh, they, or if you have the right last name and they know it's the last name of the town or you have a picture of somebody, they need, you need a key to open the door. And then once you open the door, you're in. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, and that was the, that was the case with me, especially in Calabria. Piramalo was, that was it. <laughs> they, they ran the place, you know? Uh, and, and I had no idea. I didn't realize that I thought these nobles lived in the towns, but they didn't. They all lived in Naples. They would go visit the towns once or twice a year when they were, you know, maybe, you know, planting or doing the harvest or check check on the business. To collect the rent. They love <laughs> to collect the rent. <laughs> it's like here, first of the month, they go collect the rent. In Italy, they used to show up in August because when they sell the grain right. and the wheat, they're going to collect the rent. Then they get the rent of money and they're going to go back to Naples. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you know, Pat, they didn't pay taxes either. The nobles didn't pay taxes. <laughs> no, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting system to see there. I mean, obviously, you know, Italy's been a republic since 1946. Titles are honorific at best. Some people choose to use them. Some people choose not to. But it is kind of ingrained in the psychology of the place. It, you know, if you think about the most important piece of Italian literature from the 20th century, and, and this is not just my opinion, but it's been voted a million times over, even by the reading public in Italy. It's the leopard, right? It's the story mm -hmm. of the change in the role of this ancient nobility. Have you done much research on the Italian nobility in the broad sense? Could you give our audience sort of a primer on what that means in Italy versus other places, uh, you know, when people came, things like that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think what we're missing in our culture is you know, we've seen on TV and in movies, we've seen the English princes and kings and queens and, and all of that stuff. We don't realize that Italy, up until 1860 or 1861, was hundreds of little fiefdoms. Yeah. And these people were intermarrying, warring, um, you know, who was poisoning who and who was stabbing who. And then, you know, depending on what part of the century you were or what century you were in, the French were there, the Spanish were there, the Austrians were there. Maybe some of them, they were all there all at the same time. So I think that's why it's such an important part of the culture to them, um, because they identify with these towns still and these nobles that they had there. And we, Italian-Americans, don't realize that history that we have, that there's tons of these nobles, and they married into Spanish royal families and French royal families. You know, I... I just advise people to look back at our history and see the major impact that we had on Europe because it's overlooked, in my opinion. We're, we're overlooked in the history of Europe. You know, you talk about the, the diversity of the Italian peninsula prior to unification. There's so many uh, microstates and duchies and duchies, however you pronounce it, and uh, uh, principalities and a few kingdoms and uh, all of these little, you know, sovereign republics, which also had their own aristocracy as well. So Italy's not only got a plethora of nobles like uh, England and Scotland and Wales the like, but it's got multiple layers because there was the nobility of the United Kingdom. But also before that, there was all of these other nobilities of the micro states or the, or the pre-unitary states. So what do they say? You could swing a cat and you'll probably hit a noble in Italy somewhere because <laughs> yeah. there was just so many layers to the aristocracy over time. And you know about them marrying out. I think the not the current queen of Belgium, but the 
prior queen of Belgium, um, Queen uh, Queen Paula, was from the family Rufo di Calabria, which was a, a Calabrese noble family that maintained its noble ties, and she ended up marrying the the king of Belgium. So uh, they're still pretty active around Europe and around the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rufo was a very important family, if I am mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yes, they were. Yeah, incredibly important. Why don't you tell the listeners out there in podcast land who the Rufos were? Well, the Rufos, the Rufos were, uh, gee, I don't remember the exact year, but probably going back at least to the 1300s. They were primarily in Cantanzaro uh, in Calabria, but they had many castles in Calabria and were a very, very important family and married into most of the southern Italian nobility. Uh, they also have the castle in Chile, which is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, to your point, they were very, very important in Calabria. And also, I think it's important to note that for us Southerners, for the most part, uh, we got taken for a ride after unification because the North came down and they plundered the South and they spoiled this whole ecosystem, if you will, between the nobility and the peasants that was working very, very well for centuries. They spoiled all of that. They killed industry. They killed the farming. And that's why, one of I won't say the only reason, but that's one of the main reasons why so many people started leaving Southern Italy uh, in the 1880s, 90s, 1900s. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we talk about that a lot on the show and uh, I've given a bunch of lectures about this and you oftentimes get sometimes academics, sometimes uh, for, you know, whatever reason, if you if you try to paint a rosy picture of the state of, you know, feudalism, post-feudalism in Southern Italy, people will say, oh, you're now you're being crazy or you're, you're hey, geographical. But the truth of the matter is the only way you can judge it with objectivity is through statistics. And if you read the statistics, Southern Italy went from the lowest net exporter of humans, of emigrants, uh, prior to 1860 to the highest within um, like 11 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, that in and of itself is a telling fact of kind of the rapid change that, that came with the dismemberment of the system, right? And there were a lot of noble families that stayed loyal to the Bourbon monarchy. I mean, the, the king went to Rome until 1870 and then eventually to uh, Trieste. And, you know, he, he was alive decades more after he was deposed. And there was, you know, pe- people forget that like in World War One, there was still a rump of the Southern aristocracy that believed if Italy would lose World War One to Austria, the country would be broken up again and uh, their sovereign might be restored to the throne in the South. So you're not talking, you're talking, you know, in, in 1918, 1917, people still thinking that there could be a restoration. So it's not the Bourbons didn't throw the towel into the twenties. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's something you might find interesting? I knew an elderly Italian American who his father was from the province of Salerno. This guy was born during the years of World War One. The guy I knew. So his father had probably come about nineteen hundred. And he was in Jersey City and he was a ditch digger for the railroad. And everyone called my friend's father the professor. And he didn't really understand why were these people calling him a professor. And they would all come over his house, uh, the workers on the railroad who were illiterate, to ask his father to write letters for them to go back to Italy. And to make a long story short, he found out later when he was an adult 
that his father was the son of a noble family. Hmm. His father was sent from the Val di Diano to the University of Salerno to go to medical school. He did not want to go to medical school. He um, went back, I guess, on one break from medical school, I guess it's like the 1890s, had a major blowout with his own father, who was like the local baron, and said to him, um, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm dropping out of medical school. And the father basically said, either you go to medical school or you get out of my house. Because the kid, the this guy's father, he wanted to leave medical school to become a carabinieri, to become a cop. So he had it out with his father. He packed his bags. He got on a boat and went to Jersey City. And he never reconciled with his father. But he had education. And when he got to Jersey City, the few years that he had of, of the University of Salerno, um, no one had any interest because he had gone to an Italian university. So he wound up working on the railroad. And he said that his father's bitterness to his own grandfather, the Baron, was so profound that the father would never make peace with him. But to make a long story short, when they went back to Italy, so this guy that I knew goes back, it's in his 70s. And he finds out he is from the noble family. Everything he heard was true. And, you know, he sees the palace and everyone calls this one, you know, Donna this and done that. His brother had been able to go back during the war, right? During at the end of World War II. And his brother meets all his uncles, his father's brothers, who, who are noble in the town. And he's shocked that this is the roots that he comes from. And so they're taking him and he's walking through the town. This is the GI. And um, he's saying good morning to people. And his noble uncle says to him, no, no, no. You don't say good morning to them. They say good morning to you. They are below you. And he said, you know, uncle, with all due respect, I'm an American. In America, we say hello to everybody. But I, there's many stories like that. There's a lot. Of, I know um, from genealogists that I know who have done people's family backgrounds. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen every day. But there are cases where they found people who really did come from noble families. There was some sort of familial spat. And one noble member of the family packed up and came to America. And they weren't able to trade their Italian, um, what's the word I'm looking for, John? Their elitism, mm -hmm. you know, their upper classness didn't play out in America. Hmm. And they wound up being shopkeepers and the like. But um, it's out there. Bob, do you find this as well? That those stories are out there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, Pat, that's, that's a good segue into, you know, why my grandmother came and my grandfather, because I don't really know. The only thing I could think of and as I learned from one of my cousins, from my grandmother's aunt, was that her great-great-grandfather was an entrepreneur of sorts, the one who came in 1905. And he had some sort of wallet or leather business or something like that. And my grandfather started an embroidery business in New York City in 1914 and 1915. And we think that probably uh, my grandmother's aunt said, come to America. My husband will help you get it started, you know, start a business. Uh, because again, there were only two people from either the Piramalo family or the Karachalo family that actually came to America. Everybody else is still there. Um, and and I'll just one quick story about our trip. I did not know when we went to Italy in June that my dad had first cousins there. I found uh, about two months before we went, I got contacted on Facebook from a first cousin of my great my great grandfather's second wife. He was 60, she was 30 when they got married, and he had another family. Benarique. Yeah. 
And so we get there and Nicholas says to me, uh, I'm going to meet you at the cemetery on Tuesday and then you're going to come with me. Then tell me where we were going. He takes us to this apartment. We're going up the stairs. He says, you know, wait here a second. And he goes upstairs and I hear all this commotion and Italian be going back and forth. And he says, okay, come up. There were three old ladies there in their 90s. Two of them were my dad's first cousins from my grandmother's youngest brother. And they welcomed us like we were the greatest things on earth. The most amazing part of the story, and it blew me away, and I'm sure it's going to blow you away, was they take out my parents' wedding photo from 1944 with my grandmother's handwriting on the back and hand it to me. It's funny you say that. So we um, we took my grandmother, whose family's from Torito and Palo del Cole, her mother's family's from Torito, her father's family's from Palo del Cole, where your mom's side is from. We took her back to meet cousins she didn't know. And after a ton of searching, we found this one old lady and um, she pulled out wedding pictures from my grandmother's own wedding that my grandmother had lost to flooding and stuff. And it was just, it was a movie. It's a movie, you know, you, you, you take, people take for granted that we just sort of left yeah. our ancestors left and were forgotten, but they weren't. Oh. They were part of these people's lives and psychology. And, you know, uh, so many people come and say, yes, I have cousins in Buffalo or I have cousins here or, you know, they didn't forget. And, and frankly, neither should we. No. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I started the blog and I do the podcast because I think it's extremely important. I, I mean, you know, my generation is probably the last generation that had, you know, four grandparents that spoke Italian. Okay. I still had an uncle that spoke Italian. He lived there until 1950. We're fading. And it's very, very important for everybody to get in touch with grandma or the oldest uncles and write down these stories because they're going to get lost. Yeah. And, and, and we can't let that happen. We can't let our, our culture, our heritage get lost. Why don't you tell us about your blog and about what you do and your podcast? Yeah, so what I did, I started the blog because um, being, I guess, an egomaniac, I wanted everybody to know my story. Uh, and so I started doing that, but that was that was a one-way trip. And I said to myself, you know, there has to be other people out there who want to tell their stories, who want to be known. Uh, so that's why I started the podcast. And, and pretty much, I focus on people, regular, just Italian-Americans, uh, Found a couple of people in England that that come from Italian backgrounds and one or two in Australia, somebody in Argentina, who have interesting stories about their family, why they came, the background, the lost relatives, finding lost relatives. And you know, guys, one of the things that I'm convinced of, none of this happens by accident because I've heard stories that if you wrote this and made a movie out of it, people would say, oh, that's impossible. Nobody would believe it. <laughs> I have helped a lot of podcast listeners and other people find their Italian roots. Yeah. Bizarre coincidences have happened. I've said to John, if we ever did an episode on it, people would think I was making it up. Yeah. 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 I was noticing in uh, in our show notes as we prepare for this that you have said that you firmly believe our ancestors want to be found. Give us some examples of these stories that people wouldn't believe. Well, I... I think my favorite one is um, Paul Nauta from uh, Family Search Dialogue. And he's a, he's an executive there. He was planning to go to, to a um, conference in Pennsylvania. 
and you know, do a talk and everything like that. And he said, I couldn't find my grandmother's birth record. And I've searched and searched and searched. I couldn't find it. I'm going out the door and I look up and I say, Grandma, help me find this record. He gets to this conference. He looks over in his booth and he sees a woman there. that She's got a name tag that says she's from the National Archives of New Jersey. And he goes over to her and he says, I tell her, you know, I've been looking for this record for my grandmother. I can't find it. I know she's from New Jersey. She says, and, you know, she kind of nodded and walked away. And I figured, well, I tried. The next day, he says, I'm waiting to do my talk. She comes over to me with an envelope and tells me, don't open this until after you speak. He said, I finished my talk. I opened the envelope and it's my grandmother's birth record. How about that? Right. So, you know, one other really, really quick one was somebody else that I interviewed. Um, he is in Positano. It's pouring rain. His last day, they had one, one day after that. And he says, I'm looking through the magazine and I see the, the town that my grandparents are from. He said, and it doesn't look that far away. So I tell my wife, we're going there tomorrow. And she's telling me, no, it's the last day. We have to go to Capri. And he says, no, no, I, this place is right here. It's Gognano. I know it's close. It's right here. I'm going. You could go to Capri, do whatever you want to do. The next day he goes there. He says he's in a he's in the car. And the cab driver says, why do you want to go to Gognano? There's nothing there. And he said, well, my family's from there. And he said, oh, you don't want to go to Gognano. Well, you want to go to Lettere. And he said, normally I would have said, no, just take me to where I want to go. He said, but I told him, okay, take me there. He gets the letter A. He goes to the commune. They tell him, oh, this, this is your Fatarosa. That's your last name. Oh, you don't want to be here. You want to be over. You want to be in the, in the church. He goes over to the church and the priest tells him, no, you want to go to the cathedral. <laughs> he found his ancestors' writings, books from the 1500s. Wow. Great, 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 great grandparents, things that they wrote, bishops, all because it was raining one day and he picked up a travel magazine and saw it in the Gragnano. Isn't that amazing? So hold on a minute. He thought he was from Gragnano? Was that it? Well, he, he said when he was 21, like some 20 years before, his uncle told him that we're from Gragnano. That's all he knew. But the chauffeur told him, you don't want to go there. There's nothing there. You want to go to this other place. Yeah, he knew. He knew. The, he knew. The, yeah. He knew. Yeah. The, the closest thing I can share to just experience like that is when Pat and I were doing work. Uh, I think it was the same trip we went to Latronico, but we we went to visit um, a mill run by three or four young Southern Italian men. It was in Campania, but right over the border. And uh, they were talking about the heritage grain varietals and the ancient milling techniques and reviving these heirloom grains that are naturally uh, gluten tolerant and all that. It was just, you know, very scientific, nerdy stuff. We were nerding out. Pat, you were in heaven, right? Because bread and grain and like a, Pat can go toe to toe with anybody on that. And we were with Princess Beatrice uh, as part of the delegation. And so they were all very, you know, Southern um, identity driven and having her there was a big deal. And one of them said to me, uh, as when he saw my last name, he said, you know, I think you've got some relatives in the area. I said, yes, we blah, 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 blah. Anyway, when I got home, he sent me all this documentation of um, members of my family who had been actually officers in the Bourbon army. And after the uh, invasion from the north, when most of the soldiers in the two Sicilies armies were invited to become part of this new Italian army, a considerable amount decided not to, and they decided to continue this fight for their freedom, which 
we now know as brigandage for about 10, 11 years. And he could show me the records of my ancestor who decided not to take the commission in the Italian army, keep his rank, go into the woods and fight as a freedom fighter. And it was the most wild thing in the world because it tied me and my blood to this topic that I'm so passionate about. And I felt such a great pride in seeing these documents and, you know, What's the chance you're going to go to a ancient mill with modern guys who happen to share the same passion and recognize the name? And I mean, it's just, you know, you can't make that up. No, no. It's, I'll tell you one really, really crazy one. And um, they they went to, um, I forget who told me this story. Uh, it may have been Alex, but I'm not sure. Anyway, they went to this this town. They're walking down the street and this old woman comes up to him and says, who are you? And she gives the name and she says, come with me. And she takes this key out of her, you know, Vestalia. And she opens up this door to this chapel to St. Lucy. And St. Lucy is the patron saint of eyes. And there's this whole big, you know, monument or temple, whatever you want to call it, chapel, uh, with all of these artifacts from all around the world. And the tradition there is you pick up something from these, one of these artifacts, put it towards your eyes. And, you, you know, St. Lucy will bless your eyes. Well, the guy picks it up, puts it in front of his eyes, and he says, I don't believe this. And he, the guy says, don't believe what? He said, these are the names of my grandparents, my great-grandparents. So this woman finds him on the street, opens up this chapel. He goes in, picks up this something that his great-grandparents sent to this little town in Italy some 60, 70 years before. You can't make that up. So he knew he was from that town. He knew he was from that town. Yeah. Did she know who he was? No, no, she had no idea. She just saw him walking around. Who are you? And he, he gave the name. I think she recognized the name and said, you know, come with me. But out of all of these things, he just happens to pick up something that his great grandparents said. It's freaky. I've seriously, I am serious, and I'm being very honest to people out there, and especially the people on the podcast, the listeners I speak to, I have seriously debated doing the freaky episode. You should. With the kind of whacked out stories. But I just feel that some of them are so far out there that people are going to think it's it's like a joke because yeah. you can't. I, I There's about a handful. I could count on one hand stuff that was just Twilight Zone. There is definitely somebody on the other side pulling strings with this because there is no way you could humanly explain the coincidences. And you know what else, too? I've noticed. People have um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, when when you kind of have like a um, a feeling in your stomach. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Not premonitions. Intuition. Yeah, into they have these intuitive, like that woman just bringing them to that chapel. There's a lot of intuitive stuff that happens that can't be explained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where people just say, I I I know I have to go to that house. Yeah, or I know I have to go to that well, and there's something there. As I've gotten like really deep into my genealogy, because now I think on my mother's side, on all my ancestors, I can hit to like the 1750s at least, mm -hmm. um, more or less. I have found out lots of wacky stuff. And uh, it's just one thing solved a family riddle. I had a riddle on my grandmother's side. There was a there was a whole relationship of people who didn't talk and stuff like that. I was able to find it through birth records, what had been the incident that kind of had caused it like. Once you do a deep dive into genealogy and you really understand the players of who everyone is in your family, the doors that open up are just unbelievable. The stuff that you find out. 
March is all about the women on Mediaset Italia. Spend International Women's Day on March 8th and all of Women's History Month with your favorite ladies from Italy. Friday nights belong to Michelle Impossibile and friends. Enjoy music, laughter, and fun with Michelle Hunziker and her lifelong friends. Monday through Friday, get your daily dose of Barbara D'Urso on her talk show, Pomeriggio Cinque. And on Sunday afternoons, don't miss the latest in celebrity news and pop culture on Verissimo with Silvia Tofanin. Plus, Buongiorno Mama, Series 2 on Saturday nights, starring Maria Chiara Gianetta and Raul Bova. It's all on Mediaset Italian March, plus so much more. Check with your local television provider and ask about the channel today. That brings up a good question. You know, you've taken this on as uh, a a late in life, uh, you know, post-retirement passion project. But what are some of the kind of tips and tools you can offer people? You know, not so much the traditional, like, here's how you look for records and things. But when it comes to collecting stories, because that's always the hard thing. You can build a family tree. You could find dates. That stuff's, you know in the record if you know how to look for it. But what about collecting stories? How do you recommend people go out and get to the bottom of these mysteries? Well, the first and probably, I guess the most obvious is, is go ask grandma, go ask grandpa, find the oldest aunt or uncle and ask them, what do they know about the family? Because a lot of times they just don't talk about it unless you ask. And if you do ask, they will do it. I think the other thing that's been a great tool for me has been Facebook. I've gone out there and looked for people with the same last name, as I find the town, I'll go to that town and I'll type in, do you know this family name? Do you know Nicoletti? Do you know Sorrentino? Do you know Piomalo? And that's how I found my fourth cousin in Italy, Cinzia Piomalo, who was just a fantastic help. And she started a Facebook group for Piomalo, thinking that she would find people from Spain or from South America because she knew the roots of the family were Spanish. She never thought she would find anybody in America. And she has just been just so wonderful in helping me piece together pieces of the family and things like that. The other thing that's real that helped me a couple of times too is uh, familysearch.org has a free consultation. So you could go onto their website, you could fill out a little form, you give them information that you know, and they'll go search for records for you. Wow. I didn't know that. And then they'll do an interview. They'll do a Zoom with you to give you the results. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they found my, I guess, my fourth great-granduncle's will, like some 40-something pages uh, out there. Uh, and and it, was, it was quite astounding. So, yeah, they're a great, they're another great resource. And they're free. Familysearch.org. It's a free resource. They have a, a lot of information out there. And, again, they do this free consultation if you want it. That's brilliant. Because I, I I do think sometimes, you know, the cost of genealogy is expensive, right? And it's sometimes a little bit prohibitive. And if you don't spend a lot of time like you have or Pat does or, you know, to some extent I, I do, even navigating your way around open source databases of, of records is really hard. Like I, I, I become kind of obsessed with my grandfather's World War II service records. I just watched uh, Ken Burns' documentary on the war again. And you know, for those who are into genealogy or records, a good portion of U.S. servicemen and women's records from the Second World War, unfortunately, was lost in a really tragic fire in St. Louis in the 70s. Uh, my grandfather's among them. But I was just trying to find like his um, 
his enlistment card and stuff. And it took me, and I'm pretty familiar with these things. It took me about 10 different tries to get in that door to find the, at least the digital record of his uh, enlistment papers. And so it's frustrating. And, and sometimes having professional help is, is really necessary. And so it's nice to know there's a resource that you can turn to without having to come out of pocket because sometimes you just untie that one Gordian knot and the rest just falls into place. Yeah. And, and, you know, on my Facebook group, Italian Roots and Genealogy, we have almost 10,000 on there now. And if you have something and you put it out there, somebody will respond. If not me, somebody else in the group will respond and, you know, help you translate or help you find the record or help you get through the Antonati or whatever you're looking for. That's a great resource that we need to share with everybody. We'll definitely link that Facebook group from the show page as we will your blog and your show and uh, everything you're doing because it's it's obviously important work. And I think it's a of real interest to so many in the community out there. And I think this explosion of websites and databases and DNA tests and TV shows about, you know, finding your roots. I think people are looking at these things with fresh eyes after many generations of just being convinced that it was too hard to do. And it's not too hard to do. And you can find your roots and Italy has luckily some of the best records in the world between both the civil records and the church records, which you get double dip if uh, anything is missing from one. So there's, you know, every day more Italian databases are being digitized and it's just, it's a lot easier than people would think. It's, it's uh, a myth that it's impossible. Can I have the real fun question, John? The truth? Yeah. Bob, how does it feel to be of noble blood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pat and I are... We're both very jealous. No, I think I have. No, no. Back up, Johnny boy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yes. I I am convinced, Bob, that I am descended from the San Severinos of Tejano, the family that has that castle. Mm -hmm. Um, I found my grandfather's grandmother uh, was born in Tejano and her ancestry. I'm full of San Severinos on that side. And I mean, you wouldn't know, but I mean, they were what the most noble family in the south of Italy, John. They were one of them, yeah. One of them, one of them, yeah. I have some San Severinos going back, yeah. I, I'm convinced, and and they were their base in that part of Italy was Tajano. Now, also, didn't the San Severinos took a wrong bet against the king? Am I correct? Uh, I think the, didn't they go against the Anjou in 1489? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, yeah. So my noble ancestors bet on the wrong side of that. Yeah, but they all bounce back. You know, they, those people bounce back because they had so much wealth and things like that. So I have, I, a lot know, more, I have a lot more evidence why I think I'm from that branch of San Severino. Well, send it to me. Let me take a look. Oh, wow. Could you, Bob? Well, yeah, sure. I'll take a look. I'll take a we look. Should, we've got to talk about this. Bob, if you prove that he is, in fact, noble, he will become the most insufferable version <laughs> of himself. I don't know if I could deal with it. If you really were noble, Pat, you, you you would you would change. No, I would be. No, that's not fair. I would be a great baron to my people. <laughs> I would be the father of fathers. You know that. I would care for every peasant in my fiefdom. Am I included in that list? No, you could have your own fiefdom in New York. You don't want to come to Jersey. I don't think I'd be insufferable. I think I already am. Remember, Signora Sinasha, that's my motto. That's absolutely really, right. If I could have a teaser, it'd be Signora Sinasha. You just don't become that. That so is true. It wouldn't be that I was finding that I was. It was just that we now have the paperwork to prove what we already knew. I got you. you know, how many people? <laughs> you you, you know, just feel it, Pat. You know, you just feel nah, it. It's obvious. I mean, it's like <laughs> obvious. I mean, listen, everybody knew the world was round 
and Columbus just got to prove it, right? He came back and said, everybody knew it. They just needed the paperwork. Copernicus had said it. And I think that just it just shows that, you know, I don't know. I, I really do believe with the San Severinos 100% because there's a whole lot of other stuff that I found. Now, granted, but, you know, on my Irish side, I'm definitely descended from Neil the Nine Hostages. But see, but so was 17% of the Irish population. You know, I said a lot of people, like, I'm descended from the San Severinos, but probably, you know, 25% of the, of the province of Salerno is. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much. Um, I had told, when I had found that, I had told a cousin on that side of the family, and they're like, oh my God, we're no bill. I'm like, no, there's no palace there. <laughs> you know, but I do think that we are, fr- and like I said, this, I have, that would be a whole other episode if I had all the evidence that I think leans toward that. Bob, if you can prove that, that would be one of our best episodes ever. You come back and open <laughs> the envelope I'll, on Pat's I'll nobility. Take a look, but Pat, you're going to have to go some because because I have I have Pope Paul III, who's my grandfather. So, you know, kings and who, queens. Who? Pope Paul III. Oh, wow. So you're from an illegitimate line then. That's right. Yeah. Wow. They call you Fide Bastarde. They're on the money. Hot <laughs> on. Nothing like having a pope in the family tree. So you came you came through the Gumada, the papal Gumada. Well, yeah, going back to yeah, thirteen generations or something like that. Who was the who was the Gumada of Paul the Third? Um oh what the what I can't remember her name. Uh I don't recall. But if you saw the show the Borgias, the Borgia Pope, Pope Alexander the Fourth, his girlfriend was the uh brother of Pope Paul, or sister of Pope Paul III. Her name was Julia Farnese. Oh, you are Farnese too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about name dropping. (laughs) (laughs) All right, come on, Bob. Let's not hold back. Drop all the names. (laughs) Caracciolo, Farnese. You're you're like in a Neapolitan noble telephone book. You don't want me to keep going? (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty amazing when you think about it, that, that you can, you know, you can read... And learn the history of a place and see your ancestry pop up and, and your ancestors pop up. And I think that's a great enticement to a lot of people. Not not, you know, not that we want to be walking around in ermine and pearls because why not? That was the we general, not we, you and I. Ermine is a sign of leadership. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I don't that, want not... a crown. I'd be happy with a coronet. Something small. I'm not well, obnoxious. They, they, but... In Avellino, they gave me the robes of Prince Marino Caracciolo. So I have the robes already, Pat. You know, you're welcome to borrow them. Bob, absolutely. <laughs> I'll have them made. I got a custom tailor in Naples. Because listen, we all live, we already live in a monarchy, right? So we have billionaires and gazillionaires who are really calling the shots around the world, right? That's true. They just don't get dressed up in noble outfits. So, you know, we have like the War of the Roses. We have the Bushes and the Clintons. How are they different than the Tudors and the Yorks? We keep going back between the same families for president. So why not put a crown on their head and just call it what it is? I can't disagree with you there. No, me neither. Humanity, listen, humanity loves fame, fame. That's why, who's the new nobility? It's it's Hollywood people. It's politicians. And the reason why it's weaker today is at least our nobility got a good education. That's right. We That's taught right. our nobility. Yeah. You're going to have money. You're going to have power. You have a big responsibility. And if you screw this up, you're going to burn in hell one day. You know, the, the Jesuits created the Neapolitan in Naples, the College of the Nobility. So all the rich, powerful people could send their sons there, and those guys could be prepared to be leaders. That's yeah, true. So I think the old system worked better. No, you're not wrong. And I think, think I might look like a hottie in her mind, pearls and a coronet. 
<laughs> Going around on a horse, I could throw out gold coins. John knows that I want to come up with my own cryptocurrency, I, silver coins with my face on it. I was I was looking for swords yesterday, so I, yeah. It's in your blood. That you we can that we can help yeah. you with, Bob. That 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 through the order we can help you. John's with. We're got swords like Saudi Arabia's got sand. Yes, I do. John's got true. so much sword he could have a whole cavalry unit outfitted. That's probably. Do you think there's people still listening at this point? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Somebody's like, "Oh, can you believe it? They're crazy." I told you they're crazy. <laughs> Somebody has a Medigon husband or wife in the car while they're listening to this, and they're like embarrassed right now. No, I know, <laughs> but you know. No, but you know the truth is, like, no matter what you, no matter what the reason behind it, it's really interesting stuff, and it's amazing to read history and and find a personal attachment to history and you know look history for many many millennia has been written about the prominent and you know whether or not that's right or wrong that's how history's been written so you, you know you don't read the name of the foot soldier unfortunately but you can read the name of the general or the you know the the, the cardinal or whatever it is and to be able to attach yourself to that it's interesting it's really interesting stuff it, you know some one one no one european noble let me just say this one european noble john and i were at a party with with dukes and counts and princes and I said to one guy, I'm like, I was like, oh, wow. And I think he thought I, I was all, like, impressed because I thought he was better than me. He's like, oh, you know, you are a decent person, too. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, what I'm really impressed with is the fact that you can trace your genealogy back much easier than I can. Yeah, right. So you can go all the way back to Charlemagne. I, I don't know if you're actually, I don't think you're actually a genetically superior human being. <laughs> I just think that you just got a much, it's much easier. I mean, I mean, look at Queen Elizabeth. May she rest in peace, right? Or, or the current king. They can go all the way back to Charlotte. I mean, there's people that do that kind of work for them. Yeah. I mean, just imagine being able to say, okay, well, this was my ancestor in the 1430s. That's the benefit to nobility. You got a, you have a better record-keeping yeah. system. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I felt they saying to this noble guy, I'm I'm more noble than you in my heart. <laughs> I should be walking around with ermine, you clown. But that's I have happen. seen you yell at the nobles before. That's been one of the highlights for me. Telling them I know, how I didn't yell them. I educated them. Educated them. They they scold, they, scolded them. I scolded them that you dropped the ball. Your bull droppers. Yeah. Who is li- we at? We are now down to five listeners right now. <laughs> so our friend, like, they're crazy. I told you they're crazy. The Irish guy, he's the worst of all. <laughs> when they don't like you. Who is the greatest uh, Neapolitan prince of all time? Toto. Think about that's true. That. He was a noble. Toto yeah. the comedian was a Palatine prince. Am I correct, Bob? Oh, prince I didn't know. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 He was a Palatine. I did prince. not know that. Yeah. I, yeah. Was oh, he wow. illegitimate? I think he was. Yeah, he was illegitimate. And his father finally of... gave him um, legitimacy. Legitimacy. Point. But yeah. he was the most, and he, in his character as a person, you know, uh, he died penniless in Naples, even though he was a huge movie star because he gave everything away. Mm. People asked him for money. I have a sick kid. I might lost my job. He died penniless, and he said he wanted to give it all away. So that's who was the director, the famed neo-realist director who was part of the nobility. Um, maybe it was De Sica or. I can't remember. I might think it was the Sika. One of them was a was a count or a duke or. Can I ride around on a white horse? Yeah, sure. I want the horse that you're about to send to the Brajol factory <laughs> or the Ghoul factory. I That's want noble take, steed. Because I need a Minza Shem horse. I can't have a real horse because I'll fall <laughs> off it, and I'll wind up in mud, and I'll have the nice ermine and the pearls and the crown. You're gonna say you ruined the whole thing. I want a senior citizen horse to go nice and calm, <laughs> And All right, I'm, I, I'm going to throw out confiette and silver coins with my image on it. I would love to see those coins. And Bob is going to help me prove that. <laughs> All right, Bob, you, we have a return engagement for when you can prove that Pat is part of the Neapolitan nobility. 
and that will be an episode I'm sure none one, none of us will forget. His his uh, ever burgeoning fan club will be very anxious to hear that one. I'm sure. And it's I mean, only that... proving what we we don't need the proof. Right, we don't need. Yeah, it. Would we be don't. Nice. Need... We, know. we know. And John is you going to have a trumpeteer? I'll have everything. Oh, can me? I trumpeteer my own show with my gazoo? I'm going to give you a gazoo It'll army. It'll be a noble gazoo. A gazoo they, choir. They trumpeted me into the palace in Avellino, and I'm standing there like this doofus. <laughs> nothing says nothing says guy from Queens like trumpeteers <laughs> announcing you in. I'm sure you think that was disconcerting. Silver, there's a silver gazoo maker. I could have my arms put on the gazoo, and then make it one of your one of your noble work schemes. Yeah, in your fife. In yeah, my fife, we'll industry. have gazoo makers. Listen, every town <laughs> in Italy's got something. That's right. Pipe yeah, makers, yeah, stone cutters, and we'll be the gazoo. We'll be a gazooatore. <laughs> yeah, gazooatore. That's perfect. I'll have it right next to San Laucho. There'll be noble silk. Exactly. And then they'll make the bags and we put the noble gazoos in. See, you're going to use your nobility for the good of the economy. Can you believe people listen to this? And I'll listen. I'm not. I'll they're probably not now. Exploding. I'm like, what, are you, <laughs> what is it? Because they're legalizing marijuana on your way down. You're listening to us? Probably. You know, yeah, I've never uh, smoked that stuff. Could you do it in those fancy Sicilian pipes you have? <laughs> I have not. It's not my thing, but I bet you could. I've never smoked marijuana, but if I did, I would. It would be it in a handmade Sicilian a pipe. Handmade Sicilian <laughs> Neapolitan pipe with my arms on it. That's class, Juwan. That's okay. That's the end of the episode then of the nobility reveal. But Bob, I uh, for those in the audience who may want to attract their own nobility or just their own heritage and genealogy and uh you know you mentioned the facebook group we're going to put it on the blog the uh, show um what's what's your website that everybody can get to you on it's uh www.italiangenealogy.blog well i hope everybody out there gets a chance to take a look and uh certainly listening to bob's show and reading the blog and also join it up in the Facebook group and exchanging questions of these resources you never know what somebody knows that could be helpful in this and it's a uh, very, very worthwhile pursuit, whether it's the, um, Bob, your book is called The Farmer. Farmers, Farmers and Nobles. Farmers and Nobles. So whether it's The Farmer or The Noble, it doesn't really matter as long no. as you go out and track down your roots and there's true nobility of spirit in all lines of these families. Uh, I'm very, very confident in that. So, Bob, thank you for being here. And we do really genuinely look forward to you returning and proving Pat's, uh, Pat's already assumed. Uh, I'm, a man with, I'm a man with a mission now. We don't, oh, need, good. we don't need to prove anything. It's obvious. Yes, it is. It's stamping. Just, it's rubber just, stamping. Not even rubber stamping. It's just conversation. Yeah, I got you. Conversation. Me being well, me is rubber stamp enough. <laughs> That's very true. I am right. the rubber stamp. You certainly are. Après moi friend. le deluge. <laughs> well, thanks again, Bob. This has been a lot of fun. I hope everybody out there has enjoyed this really interesting look at what it means to trace your heritage from nobility to the farm and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano, and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano, 